Let's turn in our Bibles to John 21. I'm going to wrap up the book today, but I just read where James Boyce went eight years. So I've only gone two. So, you know, but he's James Boyce and I'm Twinkie. And so the first part of the chapter, you have this miraculous catching of fish. And it's quite interesting that seasoned fishermen can't even catch fish anymore unless Jesus is with them. Jesus shows up, tells them where to cast the net, and they catch fish. Uh, But he goes to shore, and he makes breakfast for them. I don't know about you. If you advertise breakfast with Jesus, could you imagine? Uh, Forty days after whatever, his resurrection, uh, say breakfast with Jesus. I, I just, and, and he's the cook. Uh, picture that. Sea of Galilee where he started with many of these men. And uh, he's got the fire going. And then we come uh, to this man named Peter. And he's met with Peter uh, twice before. This is the third time he appears to them. But according to Corinthians, he met with Peter by himself once. Uh, We're never told what they discussed. We don't know. know. Peter never mentions. He just says, the Lord appeared to me. Uh, uh, So what was discussed, what was uh, repented of, who knows. Uh, But here's the third time he shows up with the seven men that are probably there. And... uh, Obviously, Peter doesn't know if he's got a future. Uh, it's one thing to be forgiven by God. It's another thing to know if God still trusts you to use you. And so, we're not sure what's, what's going to happen here, but let's read the narrative. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Son of John. Now, this was the name, the old man. He renamed him Peter, but now he's going to his own name. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you would stretch out your hands and another would dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death. He wasn't just predicting old age and inability to care for yourself. He's predicting his death. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Uh, it's very interesting as we ask the question, maybe the most, one of the most important questions, same as have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, What's scary about that, look at John 8 before we get into this. John uh, 8, verse 42. Jesus is telling the religious leaders and the people of his day, uh, if you were Abraham's children, you wouldn't want to kill me. If you really were in the line of faith of Abraham, you wouldn't want to kill me. But they did want to kill him. Then he says to them, they say to him, well, we were not born of sexual immorality. What are they inferring? You're an illegitimate child of Mary. We have one father, even God, Jesus said to them. Notice, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. That means every one of us at one time it could be said we did not love God because God was not our father. You may have had, you know, you may have a religious background. You might have said, I wasn't an atheist. Uh, I just didn't want to go to church. But he says in Romans 5, not only were we sinners, ungodly, and weak, but he said, while we were enemies of God, and the word, word for enemies there is active hostility, while we hated God. And that's hard for us. Because when you look at the introduction here, the Shema of Israel, which is a Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And that was right out of Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear. So the greatest thing in the world for Israel, love me, love me. Jesus comes along, he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what? We categorize sin all the time. Uh, adultery, killing, stealing. We've got all these categories. The greatest sin we commit is we don't love God more than anything else. That's the greatest sin. Luther said, out of all the commandments, the one that gave birth to all the other sins is the first commandment. You shall love the Lord thy God and have no other gods before you. And Luther said, once you, all sin is the breaking of the first commandment. You said, my sin comes before my God. I want to do my thing and I don't love God for right now. 
I may come back. I may repent. But right now, I choose to disobey him. And he said, the breaking of that first commandment is the breaking of the rest. If you don't love God, don't worry. You can break all the other commandments. The greatest commandment is to love God and then to love your neighbor as yourself. So you see how unloving we are by nature. And uh, sometimes you'll, you'll be troubled by people that don't seem to love you. Don't, don't get all upset. They don't love God. It would be easy maybe not to love you. You're flawed. You've got failures. You've got, you know, weaknesses. Uh, and they could pick you apart. But this God's perfect. There's nothing wrong with him. He's wonderful. He's glorious. And you can't love him. It's a strain. He said in Deuteronomy 28, I'm going to judge you, Israel, because in prosperity, you didn't find the joy in your heart to love me. Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to, I'm going to bring persecution and pain on you because you didn't enjoy me even when I prospered you. So, you see these different verses. He says in 1 Corinthians, if you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, then he just says, anathema. You're under a divine curse if you are not finding your heart loving Jesus. It's right there. Uh, life is worthless if you're not loving. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels and have not love, it profits nothing. If I offer my body to be burned, that looks pretty good to me. It profits nothing. What, what do I have to have working in me? The love of God. The love of God. So here we come to the narrative. And we, uh, we have a failing man. Now this is what scares me about this narrative. How much you can fail God while claiming to love him. Did you know that the Bible said David was a man after God's own heart, even after the adultery and the murder? After. He said that. Now, you, you know, you, you'd say that's true before when God calls him from take care of sheep. Yeah, then he did. God never took that away from him. It's there. By the way, let, I want, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. See this book? There are hardly no human heroes in it. Ancient history of other cultures is always showing you the, hero, the Greek heroes. Uh, the battle of the Trojan horse and the battle for Troy. And, and let me tell you these great wars. Now, let me tell you something about this book. This book is the history of failing people that God in grace helped. Uh, oh, oh I, I just finished the book of uh, 2 Kings. And you know what I'm doing when I'm reading through there? I'm thinking, good boy, good boy, good. Keep on, keep on. Don't fail. I've already read about five kings that bailed out. And I get up here with Josiah and Jehoshaphat. Please, please keep trying. And then they'll make an alliance right towards the end. And uh, they've trusted God. But, and then they make an alliance. And so God disciplines them and Every one of them fail. Solomon, this is what the wisest man in the world can do. I don't want wisdom then. You mean a thousand women? That's what a wise man does? I'm going to sing that blues song. Give me a woman I could easily afford. 
a thousand women. Man, I don't hardly know what to do with one. And then you had three daughters. I don't need any more women. A thousand. Because he's building alliances. And he went after their gods. He was an utter failure. Saul? How about Saul? You want to be Saul? Humble in his own eyes. What about Uzziah? He said, Uzziah, I could use you, but I blessed you so much you got proud. And you went in and said, I don't need any priest to represent me. Reached out his hand and became a leper. Hey, king, you better stay within your boundaries. And he died a leper, quarantined. This is one of the great, he, he reigned 58 years over Israel. And you say, Where, where's the heroes? God's the hero of history. God even works with people like you. You would think God could do a better job picking people than picking us. Oh, that's hard on your ego. I know. I know you're a wonderful catch. Most of us weren't wonderful catches. He said, I didn't pick the mighty. I didn't pick the wisest. I didn't pick the strongest. I chose the weak. I chose the foolish. I chose the nothings of this world because I didn't want any men to take credit for it. I wanted me to get all the glory, so I chose the weak things to confound the wise. And all the wise folks says, that's just a religion for a bunch of ignorant folks. They're not too sophisticated. He says, you know what? We aren't, but he is. He's the wisdom of the ages. Now, he's talking to this failing man, and they ask him three times. You see, he denied. He had said to the men in the upper room, if all these guys bail out on you, you can count on me. So in front of them, he wants to have the discussion. Uh, Do you love me more than these? Not the fishing nets. Not more than the brothers. Uh, You're so loving the brothers. Do you love me more than James and John? And, and he no more will compare himself. He doesn't use any of that. He just simply says, yes, Lord. And finally, he punts to this. The only one who really knows if you love Jesus is Jesus. He's the only one. Now, he's asking you this morning. And he's asking me. I want to ask you one question. Not will you teach for me. Not will you die for me. Not will you give an offering. Just one basic thing. Do you love me? Do you love me? And on what basis do you say you love him? And Peter is stripped. No comparison. No big pledges. He simply says, you alone know. And obviously, the Lord Jesus saw in this failing man that he's restoring and recommissioning that even in the midst of his failure and his fear on that crucifixion night, when he was scared to death for his life, he panicked, he fled, he denied. Jesus had said in Luke 22, you're going to bail out on me tonight, but I'm going to be praying for you. And when you're restored, Peter, I want you to go strengthen your brethren. And so this is a failing man. And uh, 
I don't know where you are today. You may have landed here having failed him this past week. Maybe you landed wondering if God is through with you, wondering if there's any future use for you. Well, Peter is here to encourage us. God is patient beyond measure. God is kind beyond measure. And he gives failing men and women a thousand different opportunities to show their love for him. And so he says to him, and I want to look at just eight ways and verses that I put in the notes that this love could be manifested. What does he say? Peter, if you love me, where does he start? He says, take care of these sheep. Feed them, tend them. Um, Take care of my people. Isn't that amazing? Here, a failing man is assigned to take care of other believers. And he's told in Acts, you elders, take the oversight of the flock of God and protect it from the wolves. First Peter, when he writes in 1 Peter 5, you elders, guard the flock of God. Don't lord it over them. Be good to them. Care. It is an amazing thing that God takes failing men to take care of his failing people. I want to know when Peter quit being a sheep. Did he get promoted to being a shepherd and quit being a sheep? I can't hear you. You you don't know how to talk, do you? Talk back to me. Wake up. Get some more coffee. When I ask a rhetorical question, you've got to know when I want you to. Did, Did he quit being a sheep? I grew up a lot of times, guys, would talk about my church, my flock, my, 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 my. Preachers can do that, you know. This is my flock. This is my place. What's, what's my about it? Valley is not my flock. It's his flock. I can just pass off the scene and I'll tell you how much I'll be missed. Just put your finger in a bucket of water and pull it out. That's how much I'll be missed. You'll get another pastor and keep on, because I am not the head of the church. I never bought any sheep. But my dad, he said one day, I was come home. I was quoting all these wonderful theological pastors, my flock, my this. And my dad just said, stop, stop it. I said, what is it? He said, you preachers act like us sheep belong to you. When did you become the shepherd? When did you boys lay down your life? You're taking care of sheep for Jesus. You don't own these people. I can't hear you. I just had a cold. My ears kind of blocked, the old age. Now, this is weird. I'm a sheep who shepherds me. Lord, but Lord, I'm a failing sheep. I got lots of problems too. They don't believe it because I look good Sunday morning. I don't get up there and tell them all my faults. You've already publicized them. But he wants a fallen sheep to take care of sheep. That's what he says. Would you trust Peter with sheep? You would? Well, okay. 
I'm glad. There are some guys taking care of sheep. Nobody was safe before they met Jesus. They'd steal everything they could get their hands on. But, but he, he changes men, doesn't he? I was with a man this week for lunch telling me all the woes and trouble he went through, 59 years of age, and, and wants to study, be a pastor, and this and that. And if you only knew all the trouble he's been through, all the wrong choices, all the mistakes, I think surely God doesn't have anything for him to do at 59. He's flubbed up and failed too much. But see, Jesus is the only one that can restore a man. Take care of my sheep. Um, shepherd them, Peter. And he did the rest of his life. You know, one of the hard things uh, to get, especially if you don't have any kin folks around you, I think of my daughter back in Carolina, Elizabeth. Uh, there's some of his family there, but like in their babysitting situation, it's hard to get a babysitter. They don't want strangers babysitting. Do you know what I mean, mothers? They don't want just anybody coming in the house and taking care of their children. So sometimes they take the kids everywhere, and we're not going to risk our kids. Now, can you imagine Jesus saying, I'm going back to heaven, Peter, and I'm going to trust you to take care of my children. Somebody watches over his flock. And uh, could there be any greater trust God could ever put in Peter than saying, take care of my people? You know, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, we ought to have the same care for one another. The same. Well, this isn't the, a papal assignment. He's not making him the pope. Because he goes over to 1 Peter and says, you ought to shepherd the flock. He goes over to Acts 20, you ought to shepherd the flock. And it wasn't just a papal prerogative. He never did become a pope. He became a shepherd. Elders are the shepherd. Take care of my people. See, when you love Jesus Christ, you will care about his people. Because the more you love Christ, the more of that love will overflow onto his people. You hear some people say, I love Jesus, I just can't stand Christians. I love Jesus, I can't stand church. Well, there's a good reason. Jesus is easy to love. Christians are sometimes cantankerous. Christians sometimes act like goats. They don't always act like sheep. You get in the sin nature, there's no telling what any of us are liable to do. Jesus is wonderful. His sheep get dirty. His sheep get hungry. His sheep go wayward. It's a lot of work to take care of a flock. And I thank God for the many men and women that help in this flock. I think of caring for the body. We got a sister in this church, um, Kathy Rasmussen, who's been fighting cancer for 10 to 15 years and started a ministry to shut-ins and people battling cancer. So she's got six people she feeds every week and was doing it out of her own pocket and uh, trying to get drivers and trying to get people to help. I know because I've been at my brother Paul's and Peggy when she showed up to bring the evening meal. This is a single woman fighting cancer herself and going around and bringing meals each evening to someone shut in from cancer. Well, come on, Kathy. 
we ought to be bringing you a meal. She said, it's just a way I could care for God's people. Well, well, we didn't even authorize that. You didn't even get board approval. Never did ask for it. it. You know, when I first started this church, I had people came to me every other week telling me another ministry we need to start. We need to start this. We need to start. Now, you know, I, I, I'm doing about six Bible studies a week, and they're telling me more, oh, we need a youth group. We didn't have a youth group. We didn't have a church hardly. Oh, we need this. You know, we need nursery. You know, you know, we need, oh, yeah. I said, well, boy, go ahead and start it. May God use you. Oh, no, my burden is for you to start it. <laughs> oh, oh. Do you have a burden to teach the word like I do? Well, I know anybody can do that. No, no, I don't think so. I want to do what God called me to do. When are you going to find out what God wants you to do? And do it. Do it. Another thing, uh, he goes on to tell Peter, you know what? I not only want you to feed my people, but I'm announcing your martyrdom. You said you'd die with me. And when he, this word, you, they will stretch out your hands, was a term used of crucifixion. And John goes ahead to clarify, Christ wasn't just talking, you're going to become an old man that needs to be led around. He's prophesying his martyrdom. You're going to be stretched out, Peter, and you're going to die. You're going to die for me. And then he tells him, keep following me. And I love Peter. He never loses his humanity. Because they're walking along, Jesus and Peter, and all of a sudden Peter picks up. There's another one following. It's John. And, and so Jesus is just announced. I want you to suffer, and I'm going to let you die a martyr's death like you said you would die for me. And all of a sudden, Peter said, well, what about him? What are you going to do for him? Well, he's not included. I'm the only one going to die? No, I didn't say that. But, but if he lives until I come again, what's that to you? You follow me. You follow me. Don't worry about what I'm going to do to the rest. You just follow me. And so, I think of how we show our love. A love for Christ will result in obedience. He said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, you'll do what I say. John 14. If you, let me say this. When it comes to Jesus Christ, if you don't love him enough to obey, you don't love him. A love that will not obey is a love that is not true. It's just not, you know, it reminds you of some of these blues, oh, baby, baby, you know I love you, but I got blue seal on the side. Wait, wait, you mean I love you? No, that's just your lying. You're just trying to get her to bed. You don't love her. You're just lying to her to get what you want. Baby, baby. But I got Lucille on the side. You don't love him. You don't love him. You want to use him. You want to sweet talk him. Because Jesus said, there's going to be a crowd that shows up before me that know all the right names. They, they actually rattle off, Lord, Lord, you know what? We all actually prophesied yet. We cast out a few demons in your name. You know us. He said, I don't know you boys. How can Jesus, who's omniscient, not know someone? 
He says he knows us in 1 Corinthians. He said, those of you that love God are known by God. And the word known, it comes from a Hebrew word, yada, that was used this way. And Isaac went into the tent and he knew his wife. Now the word knew is a euphemism for conjugal relationships. It's the modesty of the Old Testament talking about sex. He knew her. He was intimately acquainted. And it's the word God used when he said, you Israel of all the nations of the world are the only one I've ever known. Uh, Not omniscience. I know everything there. I've entered into an experiential knowledge of you because I made a contract with Abraham and I know you like I know none of the Gentile nations. And when he comes over to us, I know my own. My sheep I know. This is intimate knowledge. This is not, I know just omniscient. He knew everything about a Hitler. He knows everything about every unsaved, but he doesn't know me as his own. And he said, if you love me, it's proof I know you intimately. You're mine. He knows you. And so you have to answer, Lord Jesus, you know me. You can see through. You know who I'm sleeping with. You know what I'm lying about. You know if I'm telling the truth. You know if I'm denying you on the job. You know if I'm playing church, if I'm a phony. You know I'm just using God talk, but I don't obey you. I don't follow you. You don't love him. Quit lying to yourself. Don't go to hell on your own lies. Stop lying. When has he become Lord? When do you love him enough that you will obey? Until you obey, you don't love. No, no. All this other phony baloney, talk religion. It's not worth a dime, and you'll go to hell on it. There is a difference when you come to know him. I love these testimonies. I was visiting with my sister the other night, saw her husband, and so we went by to see Sis, and we were talking, and just talking old times, different things came up, and all of a sudden, in the conversation, she said, oh, I know when you got saved. Oh, you did? How? You little brat, you changed. You this, you did that. My sister Hazel used to always say about Paul, he was saved at nine years of age in Niles Canyon, and he was a little get-in-trouble guy all the time, she said, and, oh, they would spat, have their sibling rivalry, whatever. She said, I knew when he came back from that meeting that night and prayed with my Uncle Frank and my dad and received Jesus. She said, God changed that nine-year-old boy. I'm sick and tired of hearing people say they're born again, but nobody knows they changed. You didn't change because you weren't saved. You just raised your hand, but you weren't regenerated. You went forward, but you weren't saved. I know about going forward and never being saved. I did it four or five times. But I'd be cussing within a week. It wore off. But I'll tell you, I made one trip that finally took 15th and cutting and 58. It took. And even a sister could tell that the brat and the punk was changing. 
God changes whom he saves. If he doesn't change it, you haven't met him. He's the change agent. But I mean for this to be so convicting in church. Those who know Christ and love him will love his people. He said, love one another like I've loved you. I love it when you're close to God. It will pour over on me. When a guy's getting along with God, you're safe. If he and God are at odds, watch out. Watch out. He says that in John. Uh, look at the six, the rivals in our day for our love for God. Lovers of self. Atheists often say, there's no God above me, so I love me. And we got all this literature, self-esteem and the love me literature. God never told us to love ourselves. He just assumed that we were already in love with ourselves. It's getting us to be in love with him. That's the challenge. Then you've got lovers of money. And uh, 1 Timothy 6 says, if you love money, there's two dangers. Two dangers. You either become conceited that you have money, and he says that, or he says you put your hope in money. You put your hope in money. Um, I've just, you know, I've read for years, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, I used to read that when I was young and broke. All the time I said, boy, I'd sure like to find out what it is. I should like for that to happen. And it, what reminds me, I just went through a thing this week, wasn't planned, and, and I'm just showing that do you love money or do you use it for God? Why does God give you money? So you get a third car and another boat? I'll give you an example. You know, I was raised by folks that were... Uh, poor Okies, and not welcome in California because uh, they don't want white trash in their state. And um, I was at Kaiser this week. I told the first story, I just, I'm just telling you, it just happens that God just showed me that he's given me something to use it for him. And I was at Kaiser this week at the pharmacy, and uh, I'm waiting in line, a lot of folks. And this elderly black gentleman, I put him uh, to me as, as feeble as he was walking. I put him 80. Uh, he, was, he was very feeble. He was uh, frail, thin, and, and he just had a shuffle when he went up like that. And when he got up there, the guy was having a little time with him because he, he seemed to be thinking it wasn't easy. Age, sickness, befuddled. He just wasn't clear. And I'm watching this, and um, he gets up there, and for some reason they wanted him to sit down again. There was so much medicine to get. And uh, so he sat down, and finally, I'm called. And but before that, they called him up again, and the register said two hundred ninety dollars. That's what his medication's going to cost. Two 
Now, I figured this man, as old as he looked, had to be on Social Security. And I'm sure he didn't have a 401K. I'm just sure. He's too old, I think, to have even had it around, probably. But he gets up there. Now, while he comes to the front, I'm over here. Mr. Howard, that would be $9.60. Okay, I get it. And, and they're in this discussion, and the old man is fumbling, trying to get it. And then the guy says, well, you'll have to leave everything here that you can't afford. You need to leave that. Um, and so the old gentleman was going through and going to get some. And I'm telling you, the Lord said, you got an agape fund. You, 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 you know, you got that place you've hid from Carolyn for years. <laughs> you got that place. I learned it from David, see. <laughs> you got to hide the money. And uh, I said, but Lord, I sure could get another pair of shoes. I only got 10 pairs. You know, preacher can't go barefooted. You got to look cool in this church. They got high expectations. Because you got so many black brothers out dressing you, you got to dress up. So, you know, you need to get a little fancier. And so, I'm telling you, I looked in there, and would you believe there's a $100 bill? And then there was more money. I stepped up to that clerk. I said, this gentleman needs his medication. Let's pay for it, okay? Let's just take care of it. Because he's worth it. He's worth it. Well, let me tell you, I couldn't give it if I didn't have it. That was just my little, my on-site agape fund. I didn't even go to the church for that. Some of you folks, you'd be amazed at what God might do with you if you had an agape fund on you. The agape fund starts in your heart. Because God said, do you remember when Frank Griffith bought you breakfast every morning in San Francisco because you landed in San Francisco with $5 to your name and you drove from Livermore and you didn't have enough money to buy breakfast. And every morning, if I got there in time, he said, let's go to Zim's and waffles never look better. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever been broke enough you needed someone to help you? Have you ever been broke? No, you kids don't know it. You don't know what I'm talking about. We know. And I got, it times got better. I'm the baby. Hallelujah. They started living high on the hog. Man, they were in the projects. Harborgate. Hallelujah. Boy, we were uptown. We thought that was great, even if my folks had dynamite boxes for furniture. You didn't know white folks got that poor, did you? They do. You brats, you materialistic, self-centered Americans, when will we see needs Anoint our eyes to see needs. To see needs. You don't need a committee. You don't need a deacon. And you don't need an elder. God just needs you. Just you. Do you love Jesus? 
Don't, don't ask if I love you. Do you? He will make you not love money, but love the only thing that's eternal, human beings. And they're the dirtiest, the failingness. Money doesn't fail you, you know. It's people that hurt you. Oh, yes. And people is the only thing he died for. He didn't die for money. He died for people. Well, all these rivals, Demas left the faith because he fell in love with the world. I see people, it's a strain to serve God. God says, if it's a strain, why don't you try the world? You can't believe how they'll wear you out. And they'll damn your soul. It is a privilege to love Jesus. And I just ask you, do you love him? Let's imagine, if we could, we're going to take communion. And I want communion time to be uh, just you and the Lord. And uh, this cup representing his poured out life for you. And this bread, his stooping from a throne to a manger. And the only issue you really need to answer in this life, your whole future is tied up. Because here's a promise. Hear this promise. All things will work together for your good if you love the Lord. I love to say this. I think my own family and my friends, they've always got a bang. I'm the Mr. Magoo of the family. Yeah, I love to go places with Rich Rollins because he's Mr. Plan Freak. You didn't have to worry. All you had to do is get in the car. He had everything planned. Everything. Every stop. Everything. I said, man, I just ride in the car. Get there. Or it's like traveling with Ron Hughes. He, he's got all the bases covered. Me, if I get home with my underwear, I just cry. It was a good trip. Good trip. You know, but, these, but these planning freaks, I mean. And like Ron Hughes, he said, Man, you don't plan a trip, but 10 days ahead, he's got his, all of his trips planned six months out. I said, man, I got a good fare. He said, I don't know how you do it, Mr. Magoo. I said, just keep loving the Lord, and you'd just be amazed what he can do. But you aren't, you, I know, I know. But everything is working for my good. I said everything. All I got to answer, I love you, Lord. I love you. I didn't say I knew the path. I didn't say I knew anything. I just said I'm yours. And some of you strategists, failures, ought to first fall in love with him and let him start drawing the map. And you just will be amazed how far you'll get with a shepherd like Jesus. Because don't forget, you're still a sheep. Preachers, I wish the place was full of preachers. Because my dad, I could just hear him, when did you quit being a sheep? Never. I need a shepherd. I've got one. I don't even wait on any man in this church to pastor me. I ain't waiting to be pastored. I've got a pastor in the third heavens and he's been shepherding me all my days. So when human shepherds fail you, you've got one that can't fail. He can't fail.